0: Good morning everyone, so a few weeks ago we were looking at the subject of unanswered prayer or to put it in a different context withheld blessings and I believe uh, that Andrew is looking at that subject in closer detail so I'm going to leave the rest of that subject with him, few, (laughs) but there is one area within that teaching that has been on my heart in the past few weeks and that is the subject of our calling and our purpose. In other words, what is the specific purpose that God had in mind for you when he designed you? Why did he choose this century for you? And why did he choose Oxford for you to live in? Now, perhaps at one stage or another, you've had that intuitive awareness that you have been created for something more than you've become. And you might even sense that something's resisting you from stepping into all that you've been made for one of the uh, earlier versions of Alpha, they used the story that John Collins, who used to be the vicar at HGB, told about his children's Dutch au pair. She heard the children messing around upstairs, making a right old racket, and so she stormed up the stairs and she flung open the door and she shouted out, What are you doing on earth? Radio silence, gales of laughter. Children can be very cruel at times, <laughs> but we do need to know... It's a great question, because what has God asked us to do with this brief moment on earth? And most importantly, what is God's ultimate purpose in doing this? So the title of today's talk is Identifying Our Purpose. Can I start by reading three scriptures to you? Let's start with Acts 17, 24 to 28. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples made by human hands. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they should seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. It's a mind-blowing scripture because these verses are telling us that God has determined the time that you would be born, your appointed time in history, and has placed you here in a very specific geographic location within a land boundary. You are born for such a time as this. Now, let's read Psalm 139.15. It says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. All of us are a product of God's thoughts. God has thought about each one of you and has a book written with details of each day of your life. Each one of us has been birthed into the earth so that what was written in that book can be fulfilled. And when we're born, we actually begin that process of living out our kingdom purpose as it is written in heaven. Or to put it another way, the hope is that our lives should be a way of getting God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now a third scripture from this section, which is the writer taken from the writer of Hebrews, where he reminds us what was written in Psalm 40, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written for me to do your will, O God. So even Jesus has a volume in that book that he came into earth to fulfill, and he came with a real passion. And a commitment to complete what was written about him in the books of heaven. And he spent the next 33 and a half years of his life fulfilling what was written in that book. So before we start searching out our own specific calling, we need to start with these opening truths. Number one, you were wanted before time began. And number two, you have been designed with a purpose before time began. Anything God ordained is first written in a book or a scroll in heaven. And there's a written record of everything that God has planned for you and the kingdom impact that he has destined for your life. And that really should be the end of the talk. (laughs) Another short one. Were it not for the fact that at times there's a gnawing sense in many people that we might not be accomplishing the purpose as God intended We don't know what it is we're really meant to be doing. All we know is that we're not doing it. And many of us have felt like that. We have this deep sense that if we don't find out that purpose, we're simply treading water. We may get to spend eternity in heaven, but we haven't fulfilled his kingdom agenda for us, for our life and for our times here on earth. So you say, well, okay, how do I find out what's in my book then? Some people are very fortunate. They're born kind of knowing. They have an inner sense of where they're headed in life. I met a BBC producer a few years ago, and I asked her, how did you become a producer? And she said, I, I've just always known, since I was a very little girl, that I was going to work in religious broadcasting, just from the word go. And she's actually gone on to do t- TV broadcasting. She's been a producer for Bake Off and all sorts of things. Um, But she had that sort of blueprint, and she kind of knew about it from the word go. And I thought to myself as I heard her say that, well, you know, you're really good for you, but what about the rest of us who don't know? So we do hear stories of very young people who just know the direction in which they're headed. And you might say, well, I don't know what my purpose is. And I sympathize with that because for many years, in fact, too many years, I didn't have a vision or a sense of direction, let alone a calling. I trained as a musician, but I knew that I wasn't called to be a performer, even though classical music was very important to me. I went to uh, music college, then I went on to a school teaching classroom music, then worked in classical concert management, got interested in marketing, then I met someone in Oxford who was a professor who wanted me to market his books, so I went and did that for him. Then um, a church wanted somebody to help with marketing, so I went along and did that. Then OUP was looking for somebody in marketing, so I, I was doing all this, and I was just floating around, and on and on it went. Then I got interested in plants, and I wanted to be an apple tree pruner. And it was just floating about. <laughs> the trouble was is that I didn't have a vision for my life, and combined with a people-pleasing personality, that meant that I was always allowing myself to get pulled off and putting my energies into fulfilling other people's purposes instead of facing the discomfort of having to find out my own. And while that can all look very helpful and Christian, unless it's in your book to do that, it isn't what is required. So it took me a while to figure this out and to have to face the discomfort of not running after everybody else's agenda in order to get my positive strokes. So how do we find out what's in our book? Well, it's really simple. First heading then is ask God to show you what is in your book. It's said in that very earlier scripture earlier on that I read right at the beginning. Let me just remind you if I can find it. The one from Acts, it says, God did this so that we should seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. So he's there waiting to be asked. If the thought of getting a vision for your life feels uncomfortable and threatening, then we need to meditate on what is the truth. And the truth is that the plan for your life already exists. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that lovely verse says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. So he knows, (laughs) but we don't, maybe, so we've got to ask. You're here for a purpose, and if you're unsure about that and you feel bowed down by a sense that you're meant for something more, it's because you are, because God's purpose for you is never going to be anything less than great. It's not for me to speculate on what's in your book, but if the vision is too comfortable and too small then that's something that God will start working on with you. So how do we find out exactly what is that purpose that's planned out for us? It's one of the questions that crops up so often. If we look back in the scripture that we heard a moment ago in Hebrews, it says Jesus came to do the will of the Father contained in his book. And then he makes a very powerful statement. He goes on to say, in connection to fulfilling what's in that book, he says and your law is within my heart." So whatever is written in your book in heaven is written in your heart. You want to discover what's in your book? Look in your heart. What are your interests? What are your desires, aspirations, longings, passions? These are the clues to what is in your book in heaven. And many times our life becomes so cluttered and busy that we need the Holy Spirit to unveil what is in our hearts to us. I remember sitting on my floor in my sitting room with my back on my sofa, and I was just pondering the pointlessness of my job. I mean, I just spent years playing email ping pong, shuffling bits of paper around on a desk in an office that I didn't belong in. And the Holy Spirit spoke very clearly, very, very clearly. He said, you are a teacher. And I thought, oh, yeah, so I am. (laughs) But our next heading, therefore, is look in your heart. Because we will start to have glimpses of what our kingdom's purpose is when we look there. Psalm 24 says, may he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. In other words, you enjoy what this activity is. You're good at it. You have success doing it. And others are influenced by you doing it. It's much like Eric Little in the movie Chariots of Fire when he chose to honor God by not running on a Sabbath. He said, When I run, I feel the pleasure of God. Now that shows us how specific and tailor made the calling is for each person here on earth. Eric Little's book contained days in which he was destined to run, but also days in which he was not destined to run. His skill set, his physique, his mental attitude, were all to do with running. It's very, very specific. And I can state categorically that in my book, I am not called to be a runner unless you include sprinting to the fridge. (laughs) Now, finding your purpose in life is not necessarily about undertaking great achievements in the world's eyes. There are some people in the room today who are amongst heaven's highest achievers And the world is so blind, it hardly notices them. I'm talking, of course, about those of you who are called to be mothers. My cousin, Emma, is born to be a mother. She has five children, all planned and very much wanted. And I remember her describing to me how it felt to go to supper and meet new people and be asked what she did. And so she'd explain what she did, and then she realised that their eyes were sliding around the room, looking for a more worthwhile person to talk to. God help us if we've ever done that. But we can't expect the world to thank us for fulfilling our purpose. We're doing it for an audience of one. When I moved to Oxford, I lodged with a lovely couple. She was a very strong Christian. He was an academic belonging to a very smart Oxford college that was a bastion of atheism. And he wasn't really that keen on his wife's newfound faith she was led to go to Shekinah Bible Church, just down the road here. And there she discovered that all these highfaluting atheists in her husband's college were actually opening their doors and welcoming Christians into their houses every day of their lives. They just didn't know it, because at Shekinah Bible Church, she met all the college cleaners, the college porters, who go into these academics' homes and pray through their houses Pray over their families, pray for their work, pray for their purpose and calling, and pray for their destiny. God is determined to bless them, and there's nothing they can do about it. Some of the lowliest jobs in our society are being carried out by those with the highest callings. Our next heading is look for grace in your life. Bless you, there's some grace. <laughs> God always supplies a large number of gifts to help you reach your purpose. That planning involves a unique combination of all sorts of things. Favor, blessings, time, gifts, talents, resources, (coughs) skills, contacts, ideas, relationships, all tailor-made and built into your life to enable you to achieve your purpose. And you'll get excited when you think about them. In 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul is urging Timothy on to fulfill what was planned before time began. It says, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Purpose is what is written in books of heaven about you, and grace is the empowerment to bring that purpose about. So when we find our purpose, we'll also find the the, uh, grace that has been given to us for that purpose. That's the main way you'll know that you've discovered purpose. We realize that in this particular activity or life ambition, there is grace that accompanies it. But there is a situation which can stall us, and that's where you're very clear about what it is you're called to do, maybe, but something's resisting you stepping into all that you were made for. Now, what are the ways that the enemy can pull us off course? Everybody, as we've discussed, has got this book written about them, and the battle is to get that book to manifest on the earth. There are a number of reasons why our purposes may be frustrated. And last time I looked at the sins that our adversary can find in our past and in our ancestors' past that provide legal reasons why God can't answer your prayers that he's longing to answer. But there are also faulty belief systems that get in the way of us finding our purpose. The enemy is so good at getting into your head He wants us to think that we're an accident, that you're really just a product of your parents' love. And the idea of you being part of God's great plan is all rather fanciful. You should just get on with your small life, keep your head down, and not aim for anything better. And so we have to actively remind ourselves what God is saying, that whatever the exterior motives are, his plan for you is still very much intact Anything that you think about yourself that does not agree with what God thinks about you is a mental stronghold. And that means that if you don't think about you the way God thinks about you, something needs to change. A stronghold is a pattern of thinking from the enemy to keep you from perceiving what is truth. Strongholds are so ingrained that they're very difficult to detect, rather like sunglasses that skew the colour of everything you look at. The problem is you don't know you're wearing them. Another example of this can be found amongst those who've been in the faith for a number of years. You'll probably be in your 40s, 50s or 60s, and it starts with a little voice saying, hmm, well, looks like you never amounted to much, did you? Where was that great ministry of yours? All those prophecies going to be embarrassing for you on Judgment Day, isn't it? Missing the entire point of your life. That is an insidious little voice, quietly introducing a drip feed of the same old lies into our thinking. And we have to decide to close the door and stop dwelling on those lies and to reject them. Proverbs 4 says, Be careful what you think, because your thoughts run your life. And that includes the way we think about ourselves. So our next heading then is take your thoughts to boot camp. (laughs) You need to kick out those negative thinking patterns. False thinking is something that Paul recognized was affecting the church in Corinth. So in 2 Corinthians 10, he talks to the church about the way that they're thinking. And he says this, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments with every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's a well-known passage, but no less powerful for that. If you think about those college cleaners who are cleaning out those rooms and cleaning out um, all the strongholds that are in those places, they're doing that with these divine weapons... And they have divine power to demolish strongholds. It doesn't matter if you've made a complete pig's ear of your life. You don't have to figure it all out. But you do have to stay close. Because God is not going to let your screw-ups bring down his kingdom. He really isn't. Peter is a New Testament example of someone who got it really wrong. There was no way he could have figured out how to sort out his life after he'd lied. But if we see the larger picture of Peter's life, we realise that the enemy was desperate to pull Peter off course because he had such an important kingdom purpose to fulfil. He was to be the rock on on which Jesus would build his church. And the enemy wanted him to be so subsumed with guilt and his own sense of failure that he wouldn't be able to function properly, and would therefore miss his calling. All that was required was for Peter to accept that he'd been forgiven, and to forgive himself, so that he could start to function again effectively. And in the Book of Acts, you can read how God did all the rest. To completely miss the desire of God for your life would have to—you'd um, have to keep up a sustained. Rebellion in the face of God's continuing invitation, and yet we're granted opportunity after opportunity to decide in favor of the decisions of heaven. So if we've dragged our heels or gone to sleep or got ourselves on the wrong road, we just have to turn around, go back, and get on the right road. In Isaiah, the Lord says He blots out our transgressions for his own sake. He's only too willing to forgive us and help us so that his kingdom can reach its purpose. We're being asked to forgive ourselves for God's sake, as well as ours. What if the greatest challenge to your destiny wasn't the enemy? What if the greatest challenge to your destiny, to your purpose, was you? So let's finish with this final scripture. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should work in them. Amen.